Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Under the Shell, presented by Terrapin Sports Central. I'm one of your co-hosts, Cavett Ireland, and I'm here joined by... Sam Jane. Brendan Wiseau. Michael Big Mike House. And on today's episode, we'll be featuring ABC7 sports anchor Scott Abraham, along with the Weekend of Games. Uh, you want to kick us off, Brendan? Yeah, we had a great interview with uh, Scott Abraham. Mike, take us away. Let's go. Our next guest on the podcast is a sports anchor for ABC News in the DMV. He's known for being a beat reporter for all DMV sports, including Maryland Athletics. Please welcome on Scott Abraham. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for coming on, Scott. On, fellas. Hey, no problem. No problem. Um, I, I used to be a college student one day. I missed those days. You went to Syracuse, right? Yeah, the best journalism school. Mm. I don't know. If, I don't know if that. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> No, um, Mar- Maryland has a great program, and, you know, I was fortunate. Syracuse, I grew up like 90 minutes away from Syracuse, so it was perfect where, you know, I was far enough away to be able to live on campus, get the college experience, and then close enough to kind of see mom and dad get the laundry done, get a home-cooked meal type deal. That's great. That's great. I mean, Maryland's still better. But um, – uh, to start off the question with you, why don't you give us a little, you know, you cover Maryland sports. What do you think about Terps football so far this season? Obviously, they're coming off two really tough losses against Wisconsin and Penn State. What have you seen from them so far? I mean, I think the program's been building and going in the right direction the last couple of years. Obviously, last year, winning the bowl game it was pretty big, and then they got off to the fast start here. Uh, they almost beat Michigan in the big house, played them tough. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, it's just been a lot of inconsistencies. The offense has got to get going. Uh, you know, Talia, I don't know how healthy he is, but uh, obviously you got a big game in Ohio State. And then Rutgers, you'd love to get them. I think that they got six wins right now, so they're going to a bowl game at least. But you'd love for them to kind of improve on last year um, and, and maybe get that win uh, against Rutgers to get to seven wins and then maybe win another bowl game. And then what do you see going forward this weekend against Ohio State? Do you think they have a fighting chance against the Buckeyes or not very likely after the last two performances? Uh, no, they're going to get hammered. Uh, and uh, to put it bluntly, um, you know, Ohio State's a beast. It's a different weight class. And traditionally, they don't fare well uh, against those Ohio States and, and Michigan's. You know, I was pleasantly surprised of how much how how hard they played against Michigan and they hung right with them. I think they caught Michigan in a perfect spot, uh, but Ohio state, they know they have to win every game um, leading up to that Michigan game because they play Michigan, the final game of the season, which always decides who goes to the big 10, who goes to the college football playoffs. So um, I, I don't see them beating Ohio state. Sorry. Yeah. One time, one thing we talked a lot about on the podcast is kind of like kind of the whole structure of Maryland football. And you mentioned how, you know, you think right now Maryland really can't compete with Ohio State. What do you think it would take from a program perspective to get Maryland there? Guys, it's all about recruiting, um, in my opinion. You got to get the recruits. You got to get uh, the dogs, as I call them, because, you know, these four or five star recruits, you know, that, that's what separates the upper echelon programs to the, like the middle tier programs of like a Maryland and a Syracuse and, and those type programs. You just got to, it's tough to compete against the big boys because they have the, you know, the, the um, NILs, they have the facilities, they have all the different um, 
you know, weight rooms and um, training rooms. It, it's really tough. Like look at the SEC schools. Like they treat their college football teams like an NFL team. Like that's like their pro team, these SEC schools. So uh, you have the Michigans, you have the Ohio States and you have the Wisconsin's and the Iowa's. I mean, there's a lot of great teams in the big 10, but you know, you gotta, you gotta protect home, right? There's a lot of talent in this region, the DMV region, uh, you know, Michael can attest to the WCAC, which is one of the best, you know, high school conferences in the country. Um, certainly there's a lot of great conferences in Texas and Florida and California, but I think for head coach, Mike Loxley, protecting home, building that wall, having those local recruits stay home is a big factor in moving forward. Yeah. Somebody who we talk a lot about that in terms of our podcast as well as the DMV of talent rich area, Coach really hasn't struggled with that early on. It's Kevin Willard, obviously. Three of his recruits in this new class ranks pretty high on 247, um, you know, bringing in those three DMV recruits. How do you see him in terms of this first year in the program? Um, how do you think he's adjusted to the role? And what did, can you tell us a little bit about what went down or what you saw um, in the transition from Turgeon to Willard? Um, I love Willard. Uh, I've gotten a chance to sit down with him a couple of times. I think he has a fire. He has a passion. He has an energy. And you see that at practice. You see that on the sidelines. And I think the players are embracing that and translating his fire and passion onto the court. He's the type of coach that's going to tell you, you sucked. You did horrible. Get better. He's going to be up front with you. And I think sometimes players need that. They don't They don't need to be coddled. And um, I think uh, it was a slam dunk hire. And a totally different approach from the Mark Turgeon era where he was more hands-off, uh, slower-paced offense, where Willard is going to push the tempo, shoot a lot of threes, press, get up your get up in your face on defense. Uh, I'm really excited about this era uh, with Kevin Willard. Yeah, um, and we – I think that um, all of us here think that, you know, Willard is definitely, um, in terms of the energy, um, it seems as if – Terps fans are starting to come back around, but attendance in the early go, I know obviously haven't played a lot of big opponents, things among that nature, but, yeah. but it isn't as high as in terms of what I think a lot of people expected to see. What do you think it's going to take in order to get Maryland fans back in the building? Is it just like one big win over like UCLA or Illinois early in the year, or is that something that just kind of deteriorated over the time and it has to be built back up now? No, it's still there. I think it's just about consistency. Um, getting those wins together. Uh, they're off to a great start. I mean, look, look how they're doing defensively, guys. I mean, they are shutting down opponents. I think every opponent scored under 50 points. I don't know what was the final against Binghamton, but uh, they are just shutting down teams on defense. Yeah, they haven't played the big boys yet. They're coming, so that'll be a good measuring stick to see where Maryland is at. But when you get the big teams in Xfinity Center, the fans will be there. I think everybody's excited about um Willard and you know the way things ended with Mark Turgeon and how the fan base really soured on him I you know I liked Mark and he was very good to me but I I was very disappointed of how he kind of walked away from the team from the program you know you can paint the picture that you know it was mutual they parted ways but I mean he basically quit one month into the season uh, and that was that was just so 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 poor yeah, as you mentioned, uh, now under Coach Willard, they've been uh, he's been pounding the defense. He's been pushing that. They want to play tough ball. And uh, do you think that he's been he's gonna have a 
easy time implementing this culture and this play style when it comes to these big tests like these UCLA's and teams like that or yeah. do you think it, this might be like a like a test year and just kind of see what happens yeah with any new coach and taking on a new program it takes time to build your culture build what you want to do um when it comes to big 10 basketball you better be ready to play physical you better be ready to play defense because that's that's big boy basketball so um he, he's gonna he's gonna get there he's gonna get his guys recruiting give him you know give him usually a new coach should be given like two or three years to get his guys to get his systems in place uh, and then we'll see where they're at are they gonna what are the expectations for year one and kevin willard I've been telling everybody there's going to be growing pains. You're going to have some pretty high highs, but then you're also going to have some pretty low lows because that's just what it is in, in year one. You can't expect, you know, a sweet 16, a lead eight, uh, likely unlikely that's going to happen. Uh, but you have to be patient and you just have to be excited for the direction this program is going in, in the new era uh, under Willard. And now, you know, we're all journalism majors. So switching over to a little bit about journalism now and the career of journalism, you're known in the DMV as one of the reporters who has the courage to ask the athletes and the coaches the tougher questions, you know. Why do you think nowadays many reporters don't ask those tough type of questions? Uh, access uh, and uh, fear of um, not getting the interviews or in fear of um, getting that access of building relationships, building rapport. And there, there's a balance there um, because, you know, you want to do your job properly. But I think you actually get more respect if you don't beat around the bush and you just you're direct. Um, and that's how I've always been. That's how I always are going to continue to be. And, um, you know, I, I'm not worried about access. I'm very confident in my own skin. I'm very confident uh, in the work and the product. And I stand behind, you know, the product I put out there. So, um you know, you can't, you can't live in fear of access or, you know, are you going to offend this person? It's your job to ask the tough questions. You are providing a service to the public, to your viewers, to your readers. You have to ask the questions that they want to know about. And um, sometimes it may be hard to get across. Sometimes they may be sensitive topics, you know, like Alex Ovechkin for the Capitals talking about Russia and Ukraine and that conflict and that war. That's not easy to talk about, but it's very pertinent and viewers and readers want to know what does Alex Ovechkin think about Russian and, and Putin and Ukraine? You got to ask that question, you know, and in football, obviously, uh, you know, Carson Wentz and, and his long history of uh, failures with Philadelphia and Indianapolis. Um, is it his last chance in Washington? How does he feel about that? You got to ask that question. Um, so it's, it's just, you, you just gotta, you guys gotta go out firing. Obviously, after you asked that once question, Jason Wright came out with a statement saying, you know, it would be hard to build a repertoire of the players. Do you feel that actually happened? Do you feel like they respect you more for asking that question? Yeah, it, I mean, the, the biggest backlash was just from social media trolls and whatnot, and, and that went away quickly in a week. And it's been really just actually ironic to watch things unfold the last several weeks of, you know, people tweeting at me saying, you know, almost apologizing and like, you know, cause Heineke's taking over now type deal. So, um, you know, I, I stand behind the, you know, the questioning, the back and forth uh, with Wentz. And I think, you know, Jason Wright said what he wanted to say. He's more than, you know, welcome to do, stay what he wants. It's a free country. Um, 
So it, it wasn't fun going through the, the nastiness of that, but um, you know, it's a learning experience for everybody. Would I have done anything differently? Probably not. Um, you know, the, 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 the framing of the question of Philly didn't want you and he didn't want you. Could that be debated until the end of time? Certainly. Um, you could have said it didn't work out in Philly. It didn't work out um, in Indianapolis, but you got to remember as a journalist, you don't necessarily have, your questions scripted out and you shouldn't for, for you guys, like you should always like have bullet points in your head. You don't want to be a robot. So you want to be as conversational as possible when doing an interview. So that's what I've always done of like, I just have bullet points in my head of like how I want to ask and basically spur the moment of like how I want to frame it. And that's how it came out and uh, rub people the wrong way. I stand behind it and, and we moved on. And in terms of relationships and rapport with the players and coaches, no change at all. I have great relationships with everybody in that locker room and they respect me. I respect them. I respect Carson Wentz. Uh, you know, he had no issue. The The only issue that somebody had was Jason Wright and uh, that that's on him. Yeah, definitely. And, and like in that type of situation, if you were to ask him and you ask the question and say Wentz now, obviously like things go a different way and he has like this great year and, and things among that nature. As a journalist, do you think it's necessary to necessary uh, necessary like do you think it's necessary to almost um, like take accountability for those like not that type of question or do you think it's just like something that you asked in that moment and think data changes things change like how do you go about you know making a prediction or doing something among that nature and then it turns out to be you know not that way I mean you gotta you can't you can't waffle you can't kind of backtrack like um, you know. In, in, in the moment, like minutes or hours after you can own, own up to it and said, yeah, I made a mistake or that didn't come out right. But, you know, in terms of, you know, predictions or, or questions or, or topics you talk about, um, you just got to kind of go with your takes and, and kind of stick with it. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. If you screw up, yeah, you take accountability. But um, in, in my situation with Wentz, I, I didn't screw up and I, and I didn't believe that uh, right Wright didn't think he screwed up, so he didn't apologize. I didn't apologize. So just move on. Yeah, so now, like, kind of looking at more of, like, uh, your overall coverage, you've obviously looked at a lot of college teams. You've looked at a lot of pro teams. Have you noticed any differences um, in coveraging, covering uh, a college sport, covering a pro sport? Um, I think for college, there's more love of the game. Like, it's there's there's no money involved, and it's just, you know, pride, passion, um, kind of the, the pageantry and the atmosphere of like a big college basketball game, big college football game, the band, the student section. Uh, there's just a uniqueness about college sports. And uh, again, I think it's more of a um, money's not involved. So you want to win championships. You want to win trophies where in the pros at the end of the day, you're still getting the dough. You're still getting a paycheck. You're still getting paid. So it's kind of a different mental approach when it comes to the pro athletes versus college athletes, in my opinion. Yeah, so going back to like those those tough questions that really get under some of the athlete's skin, have you ever or like how how would you go about asking these tough questions? Like I agree that it's it's good to put pressure on like these athletes. You want to get the answers that maybe they're uncomfortable saying, but how how do you go about that without coming off as maybe a little bit disrespectful? Yep, and that's what people kind of countered with me saying they thought I came across as disrespectful, um, which was certainly not my my intent. Um, again, I think it's just about repetition. The more you do it, the more of a groove and kind of a flow and a rhythm you get into the interview process. And you have to be 
you have to do your research. So you have to come in with like a game plan. You have to kind of figure out how, how am I going to frame this question? You got to do your homework. Like if you're going to interview somebody, you got to do your Google searches. You got to read the articles and you got to be prepared because you don't want to come across as um, not prepared and kind of that affects your uh, credibility and, and that's never good. So uh, my advice would be do your homework, come prepared, uh, have your bullet points, don't script anything and uh, just let it rip. And sometimes it doesn't come out that great. You learn from it. Sometimes it comes out great and you think you're like, I nailed it. You get the soundbite. Um, when it comes to interviewing, it's so important, important to get emotion. Emotion is so important, whether it's good, bad, sad, mad, happy, tears, emotion, emotional sound bites really drives home a sports cast, a, an article. Uh, so always try to get emotion when, when asking questions. Once again, Scott, thanks for coming on to the podcast. We have one last question for you. Um, advice for us. What advice would you give for us to have a successful journalism career? And what would you say sets the successful journalists apart from the others? Uh, advice? Because I was uh, in your shoes uh, long ago. Let's see. I'm 39 now, so it was probably shit. It's about 20 years ago. Uh, I was I was in your shoes, and um, you got to grind, man. You got to do what you're doing right now. Podcasts, uh, campus TV stations, uh, campus newspapers, internships, uh, build relationships. Like you are, you know, talking to me or talking to other journalists. Uh, build that bridge now because it'll be easier once you graduate and once you're looking for jobs to use those contacts because it's this industry is very small it's one big spider web guys everybody's connected somehow and um you got to build that rolodex and be as active as possible listen these are the best four years of your life i want you to have a social life i want you to chase girls go to the bar go to athletic events um that's what college is all about but uh, you're not going to be doing that all your life, right? So you have to still kind of focus of what's down the line. What is after college? Prepare yourself. Take these challenging classes. Um, be active where, you know, if you can go to a Saturday 1 o'clock field hockey game or a Saturday 1 o'clock soccer game, it's not ideal, but you could practice your interviewing skills. You can practice writing up an article. Um, so I would just say just immerse yourself as much as possible it's not it's not not everybody has the opportunities you do at a division one university you have you call you cover um some major programs some major teams at the d1 level and you got to utilize that the best you can and, and build that network yeah definitely and i think all of us are trying to get to that point um uh, we appreciate your time coming on talking with us giving us some great insight into you know your world as a professional reporter and, and good luck the rest of the way um Great soundbite today, by the way, with Rivera and his yeah. father. That was really cool to see. So um, thank you for coming on. We appreciate your time, Scott. That's the emotion I'm talking about. Right. Emotion, emotion, emotion. <laughs> yep, emotion drives it. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Yep, thank you, one. Scott. You've been asking those tough questions. Oh, well. yep. The NCAA tournaments are upon us, most notably the field hockey team in the final four, Mike Howes. Tell us what's going down. Yeah, so they defeated Liberty in Syracuse uh, last week in College Park for the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. Um, both wins came in overtime. The second win in the second round went down to a shootout with a trip to the Final Four on the line. So it was pretty exciting. And now they're going to be playing against Northwestern in the Final Four. If you guys remember, they've already played against Final Four twice. Uh, 
They've already played against Northwestern twice already this season. The first time was in the regular season. Uh, they won, of course, uh, Danny Van Rutzlar, terrific Terp, scored two goals in that overtime win. And then the second time they played them was in the Big Ten tournament, and they lost 2-1. So you're going to have to watch for the field hockey team to make sure they don't fall behind early because this Northwestern team, they can score, and they have a good goalkeeper. So if they fall behind early, it's going to be really hard to come back. I mean, Mike, you know this team better than anybody. I mean, maybe better than the players. Do you think they have what it takes? I do. I mean, we saw in the first time they played against Northwestern, they can defeat the Wildcats. However, it depends on how efficient the offense is. Both games over the last weekend, they fell behind. Fortunately, they were able to come back. But if they fall behind again late in the second half, it'll be very difficult for the girls to come ahead um, this weekend against Northwestern. And then, you know, if they do defeat the Wildcats, you got to look forward to who their matchups are going to be in the championship. It's either undefeated North Carolina or Penn State. And that's going to be a difficult matchup, both of them, because if you remember, they lost to Penn State in the regular season. It was their only Big Ten loss, and that was a 5-1 whooping in Happy Valley. So, again, tough matchups for the girls. If they get the offense going, they should be able to get it done. Can't be a worse time for the girls in Happy Valley than it was for the fellas in, uh, we call it Scary Valley, <laughs> oh, actually, down yeah. there, because, uh, folks, let me tell you something. Not pretty. It was uh, not a pretty weekend for the boys down in old Pennsylvania. Um, team who also might not have had as pretty of a weekend as what they had hoped for as a soccer team in, in Cabot. We could go into a rant about the NCAA seating, how it's all rigged for money, that type of thing, but what do you have to say about the um, – the Terps and, and what they came for in terms of or what they're coming for in terms of the the matchups they got. Yeah, so it was obviously a disappointing loss to Indiana uh, Indiana in that Big Ten semifinal. But uh, looking ahead to the NCAA tournament, they flat out got screwed with the seeding. Unseeded going into this tournament, they have a matchup against Fairly Dickinson on. What is Fairly Dickinson's mascot? It I believe they're the Knights. It's very interesting. The game is being played at 6 p.m. It is past daylight saving, so it will be dark. <laughs> it will be <laughs> It will be night, definitely. That's a Y-Cell special. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> but if we just take a look at the the rest of the bracket of the NCAA tournament, I believe I saw a stat that Maryland has five yeah. wins over seeded opponents. Tulsa has one. Tulsa has one. Does that make any sense, Kevin? That makes no sense. And Tulsa is, are they seeded? Yeah, they are. Where, I'm sure I'm looking at the I think they're, right I think they they're either 14 or 15, if I had to be. 14 or 15. Tulsa? Yeah. Uh, oh, here we go. Yeah, Tulsa is... They're 15th. Tulsa's fifth, the 15th seed. They're going to play Georgetown they're, here. They're playing Maryland Georgetown because Georgetown beat <laughs> Not the hottest thing on campus. Nope. <laughs> nope. Um, Agree. The one thing that I was shocked by is two weeks ago, uh, before the bracket came out, there was like a prediction for... Uh, what seed Maryland was going to get, and I believe they were the nine seed. And so this means they dropped six spots after beating. So they beat Indiana to win the Big Ten regular no, season. No, no, they tied. Well, they, they tied. They tied. They tied. So they, sorry, they tied to win the, to regular, win the season, regular, regular season, season title. And then they lost. So, but like Indiana's a tournament I, team. So how like how it just much make does any that sense. how much does that loss like really drop you in terms of? I mean, it was an ugly game. Like, but they they missed. 
I thought Maryland still looked almost Maryland as if dominated they were, the whole game. Yeah, they looked like the better team. They just kind of couldn't put away opportunities. And obviously, you're, you're going to drop from that because a loss is a loss in the Big Ten tournament. You're the, you won the Big Ten. You should and be up there. And it wasn't there. even in the finals. It was exactly. the semifinals. But finals. Indiana made the tournament. They're obviously the, the committee considers them to be a very solid team in their eyes. So how does that loss drop you over like seven spots from that ranking Brendan was talking about? It really made no sense to me. And I think if I was a Terp player, if I was, you know, looking at our boy like Colin Griffith or anything, that's a little chip on your shoulder. I mean, it, it makes you think that the committee is just looking at the scores of the game. They're not, like, watching the actual gameplay. Well, Mike, Very I can tell point. you that that is probably true because <laughs> none of these guys actually watch games. It's the same thing with the selection committee yeah. in basketball. A lot well, of the I mean, times, it is impossible. Yeah, I mean, having to watch. watch all of them. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Maryland has been consistently ranked in the top 10 in the country the whole season. And I mean, and I then... don't think the one loss should wipe away a resume they've built up. Like we said, five wins against turn- or, or top 25 teams. I mean, they really Big like. Big 10 champions? Yeah, like, I think that the exactly. Big 10 champion should probably be ranked in the top seedings. Um, so I thought it was a very interesting seed. But they're still in the tournament. They still have, you know, that alley. And so, obviously, we're recording on Thursday. They play today against Farley Dickinson. And then, Cabot, who who can we look at in terms of if the Terps are able to pull that one out? Yeah, so they play Farley Dickinson tonight at 6 o'clock Thursday, the 17th. And then if they win, they will play on the 20th against Cornell. <coughs> so that's Sunday. Is, yeah, Sunday the 20th against Cornell, who's the 14th seed. And... Um, in that part of the bracket, they would end up if they end up beating Cornell, they could either get matched up against either Syracuse or Penn or Rutgers. I personally think that them getting past Cornell is very possible. I I, I agree. I think that the Ivy League was a little weak this year. Cornell just happened to come away with the Ivy League title. Right. And as we said, Maryland. We know Maryland is a good Soccer team. They they yeah. they were eighth in the country for the practically the lion's share of the season. You know what's crazy, just in terms of the rankings? Maryland was never ranked 16th or higher. So the fact that they fell this late yeah. in the season is, was shocking. Off of, especially off of one loss in the Big Ten tournament, or after already clinching the Big Ten regular season title. Yeah, it seems like a really inexplicable um, decision by the committee, but Maryland is still dancing. That's the important thing for them. Yep. Um, you know, you still have a chance, if you're them, to push through and, and potentially get two wins against teams that, you know, aren't like are unbeatable necessarily Cornell and Farley Dickinson oh they're good teams but definitely beatable you know I think, you can win if you're the Maryland I think if Maryland wants to for one prove this selection committee wrong that they got the seating wrong they would absolutely go out there and trounce Farley Dickinson by at least a winning margin of two goals I would say that would be a convincing victory to show that show show the country that they made a mistake not giving Maryland first round by right and uh, Mike um, as we kind of move off of soccer and, and all of you uh, listeners out there obviously pay attention to Thursday's results we'll um, then know what Maryland's looking at team who also um, you know maybe starting to get a little bit of a little bit of gel early on in the season men's basketball team big win against Binghamton um, who really impressed you from that one? Well, you remember last week's episode, we kind of talked about Julian Reese. We didn't think he was as aggressive as we would have hoped against Niagara. Last two games have been completely different. Uh, he's uh, He scored 19 points in both contests. He shot 83% from the field, both contests. So if you're Kevin Willard and a Terps fan, th- that's just great to see. You want Julian Reese to be that go-to guy, and you want Donta Scott, like we talked about, to be that tertiary scorer to play off of him. Right. 
I want to ask you guys a question, um, and it, it relates to Kevin Willard and, and one of his philosophies that they asked about in the postgame presser. Um, so he, they were up against Binghamton, I, something in the 30s, pretty high, mm-hmm. pretty high lead, obviously. Um, and he brings in, you know, the back of the bench, right? Like the guys who, the walk-ons, the guys who don't really play, right? That type of thing. And they gave up an 8-0 run to Binghamton. And Willard in the press conference, they asked him, like, well, how does that affect you? And he really kind of went off. He said, like, look, those guys are still players. They're still they're good Division One players. Giving up an 8-0 run, like, that's unacceptable because, and this is what I thought most interesting, coaches kind of sometimes in the past, like, completely avoid metrics and the net ranking and Ken Palm and that thing. But it does play a role in the committee looks at those. If you look at the spreads for college basketball this early on, it's literally almost identical to what the Ken Palm lines are. So I thought it was interesting when he talked about how come, come March, this type of result where you win by 20, say to 30, that affects your net ranking in Ken Palm, which then affects your seeding for Maryland's going to be a bubble team. You know, that could play a role in terms of what the committee does with them. So what did you guys think about those comments? Because it's kind of twofold, right, is that you don't want to necessarily just rip on your players, especially the end-of-the-bench guys who don't really play, don't get any rhythm. But at the same time, that also does plays an impact later on in the season. I thought it was super interesting comments and makes for a good discussion. Sam, I think it's silly. But what, I, Willard or? What Willard's saying, I think it's silly. On one hand, because it, you won the game, you're up by a lot. And so in that sense there's really no reason to go into the press conference and rip on those guys. But the way you can look at it is the end of your bench makes the top of your bench stronger. If the, the guys who are starting see people who you know are walk-ons, really aren't the centerpiece of the team, outworking them, even if it's the end of the game, it makes the whole team better. So I think for Willard, it, it, I don't think it, he really you know, meant too much about the numbers and that type of stuff. I think it was a motivation for the players, and in that sense, I appreciate it. Yeah, I agree with Brendan. I think that Willard wants to, he wants his roster to be strong up and down all the way to the back of the bench, and that uh, even even though these guys might not play a lot, maybe they'll get only five minutes the rest of the season, he still wants a strong lineup, he still wants a strong, complete roster, he wants a complete basketball team, and that's the only way that's going to happen is if that you get, if you get guys from the bottom pushing the guys that are at the top just to further a healthy competition within the Absolutely. squad. Yeah, so I mean, I would I would disagree, I think. I think that what Willard's saying is valuable. Now, I I I consider myself to be like I pay attention necessarily to how the committee ranks teams, and a lot of times it really does come down to that net ranking. So, when net factors in offense and defensive efficiency for full games, Ken Palm does too, and it listed it gets listed on NCAA team sheets off the official website, which obviously then plays a role with the committee. I think what Willard's saying does play a role, and I think the motivation factor um, is true, not necessarily for what you guys are talking about. I think it's more pointing to them to say, look, guys, if you get in again, it ain't, it's not messing around. Like, if you're blowing leads, I'm going to put the other bench players who actually play back in. So go in there, take it seriously, don't chuck. I saw a guy, like, chuck up a 35-footer, and you saw Willard just, like, throw his hands up in frustration. Those are the type of things that I think it's a motivation factor, but I also think it's super interesting in that – I think it's true. I think that um, teams have to take into account, especially in Maryland's position as a bubble team. You know, they're pro- that's what they're going to be looking at this year. That's what Scott Green thinks they're going to be. That's what it seems that the majority of experts think. You have to take that into account when you're discussing, you know, um, these type of late uh, end of game performances. 
You also have to remember these end-of-the-bench guys on Maryland, a Big Ten program, would be quality role players on a right. team like Niagara. You should like not be Western giving Carolina. up an 8-0 run to Binghamton. You should not be doing it to yeah. that type of competition. You need to, if you're, if you're going in the game, you sh- you're on the level of those guys. You should be competing with them. So I think that it's a super um, – I, I mean, it, as we saw, we had a disagreement here. Not, a, but it's an interesting yeah, discor- dis- discussion to have yeah. in terms of you know. I agree that Willard has every right to be upset about it, but maybe going into the press conference, yeah, his mo- his tactics, maybe the way he went about it, right. yeah, like exactly. kind of blowing those guys up. But I do think that does show that he wants to build that winning culture and that he yeah. does want to make like a winning basketball team and right. he wants to create a winning program and turn around very commendable get yeah. it back on the track yeah but i think there's just like a maybe a better way to go about it maybe just do it behind closed doors right obviously like unacceptable for guys of that quality to be giving up like an 8-0 run to a team like binghamton who they should be and as mike said they should be hanging right with those starters for Binghamton. right yeah definitely and um it won't be an issue i think this weekend because they're they won't gonna, be getting in the game they're gonna be playing a good team um st louis well according to brendan uh, yeah brendan, <laughs> brendan just ripping on them i but think i think maryland will win this game Okay, that's fair. But St. Louis, um, unofficially, they received votes in the AP poll, so they were ranked uh, unofficially 30th in the country. They're one of the best mid-major teams year in and year out. Um, They're always a good shooting team. In fact, they beat Memphis, scored 90 points against the Tigers and Penny Hardaway's squad. So that offense is ranked pretty high in Ken Palm. It's in the top 15 um, in terms of offensive efficiency. And uh, one of their... Um, players, Yuri Collins, who's their point guard, is one of the best in, um, mid-major point guards in the, uh, that they have in those leagues, and if not, probably one of the best in the country. Um, the guy averaged 14 points, 12 assists per game so far. He really does it all for them. Um, his ability to create for others while also being able to get his own shot is something impressive. I was watching some film, and Collins really just strikes you in terms of his quickness. His ability to play off the bounce, Playing the pick and roll game, he's constantly making second level, third level reads, finding shooters in the corner if the big man hedges down. These are type of things that an advanced level point guard will do, and so it'll be interesting to see Maryland's ball screen defense, especially with a young big man and Julian Reese. Hey, are you guys surprised that Maryland didn't receive any votes for the top twenty-five? No, they haven't really. They played, played anybody. They played nobody, and and they like, they're just coming into the year. They weren't like up there, so I, I, yeah. I wasn't surprised if if they beat St. Louis. And then we can talk a little bit, not not too much, but they play either Providence or Miami in this tournament coming up. I mean, if they win the tournament, they should be they, ranked. They should be ranked. So it'll be interesting to see. Mike, I know you had another guy from um, St. Louis to talk about. You talked about the shooting. Another guard who's played extraordinary for them so far this season is uh, Gibson Jimerson. He's averaging 18.7 points per game. He is their leading scorer, and he's shooting 46% from three, I believe. Yeah, he is. Um, and they're just a great three-point shooting team overall. They're averaging 38% from three. So yeah. we joked about the tweets about Niagara about how Maryland didn't allow a three that game. But will they be able to actually yeah. step it up and prove it against a quality team right. who is meant to shoot the three well? It'll be put put to the test for sure. And especially if St. Louis stresses you out with spacing all mm-hmm. five guys. In, or all four. They have four really good shooters. And their big man can also run a little pick and pop. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see. Um, how, how those two teams match up. And it'll be a good test early on for Maryland. I think these are the type of games that you want to schedule if you're Willard, right? It's a competitive game, but you're not playing a, at Gonzaga or a, at, Mich- uh, you know, like uh, Texas as they play. Right. Team. You're getting a team that's going to come come March. This, te- this is going to be – if Maryland can win, this is a win that you put on your resume, right? It's a neutral yep. court game. You win that. It's going to be against a top 50 Kempom team probably. That's a win that you can put on your resume, but it's not a game you go into where you're like, all right, let's just keep this close. They can win this game, mm-hmm. I think. I would probably say St. Louis has the edge right now, um, 
but I think it is a possibility that the Terps can pull this one out. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've seen certainly a few inconsistencies across the floor with the Maryland basketball team, but they haven't given up more than 52 points. Yeah. They're averaging 51 points against yeah. over three games. So they've definitely been defense has been together. better. Yeah, they've definitely been putting together a defensive set, and uh, it's just really can they ride that? I mean, can they can mm-hmm. will it keep them? Keep them the in ball. it, right? Yeah, and keep them in front of the ball. Make sure that you're contesting three point shooters down. if you're them, because obviously, yeah. as Mike said, the St. Louis is deadly from beyond the arc. Mm-hmm. This, well, this is ahead. a game that Mark Turgeon loses a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> and so, the reason I think Maryland will win, and you know, the reason I think Terps fans should be hopeful, uh, is because Turgeon always had the athletes. Maryland very rarely lost games against a caliber team like St. Louis because of the athletes. In my opinion, they very often lost the games because of coaching. And so with that in mind, I think that a new program, a new face, I think that Maryland will win this game. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know necessarily. I can't point to a, what, Turgeon loses this game all the time. But I do think that Willard's instituting a new style of play for Maryland, as we all know. And so it'll be really interesting, and as I've said a couple times now, to see how the two styles match up. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to bring up, can they maintain that style of play they have right. the past three games? The it's, fast breaks, the defense. Yeah, can it's like if you're playing against a higher team, are you just going to turtle down? Mm-hmm. <laughs> pun. Um, I get it, because like, the terrible are turtles. <laughs> nice one, it, Are you just going to like turtle down and kind of play like a high-level defensive game where you're just trying to l- limit possessions and, and keep it close in the 50s? Or are you still going to get out and run, shoot a bunch of threes, that type mm-hmm. of thing? Um, so, yeah, the, it's a big game. Um, Terps fans can tune into that one instead of watching Maryland get blown out by Ohio State on Saturday. Yeah, just, just based off watching the games, it looks like the Maryland players are just having fun yeah, out there. Yeah, definitely. It That's just, a good it point. It just looks like they – they, it looks like they're along with Coach with Willard wants wants. I, I 100% he, yeah. agree. Scott looks like he's having more fun than I've seen him had in, in like three years. Yeah. Um, Timu also is having fun, um, but maybe not in the way. You know what's that fun? Sam? A lot of yeah. 11 a.m. game times. Yeah, folks. Let me tell you something, <laughs> Professor Griffin. If you're out there listening, um, maybe mean, have a math test at 11 a.m. Can you imagine having a math test at the cover game at the same time? Yeah. Well, that was me, um, Griff. Just clap it up for Sam. That is just not easy stuff. Griff, uh, I went to him about an excused absence. I uh, wasn't too happy about that request. Um, actually said I needed to take the test. It at was. That exact it was time. test day. I mean. It is true. But, um, you know, Maryland, once I got there, they I, t- I was talking with Ian Decker, who's the Diamondback writer. He said, you need to be here in the first half because let me tell you something, folks. The first half of that game, extremely sloppy. Maryland against Davidson turned it over 12 times in the first quarter. 12. 12 times. Lady's got a hold on to the Gross. Rocks. Yeah. Brenda Freeze was not pleased. I wasn't there, so I can't say, but sources tell me that Freeze was extremely <laughs> pissed at the game. It was kid. It was kids' day. They had over or field trip day, so they brought in local kids from around screams. the area. Over 6,100 kids attended the game. Folks, let me tell you something. I don't think my eardrums have recovered. I mean, the kids do not want to see that sloppy play. That's horrible. Oh, well, they were screaming about it. <laughs> <laughs> they were showing their disgruntled approval. <laughs> Coach, Coach Freeze on the hot seat now? Because... <laughs> <laughs> But, Coach Freeze upsets kids. I mean, that's all. Yeah. But they did manage to pull it out against Davidson, another A-10 opponent, after narrowly beating Fordham. Um, so they, those two wins, um, while they were more sloppy and, and, and not as uh, wide of a margin as one would have hoped for if you're a Maryland fan, they do have um, quality wins now. Fordham is usually a pretty good A-10 program. Davidson's terrible. But that one win, will, um, I think, could play a role come March. Um, and they're now not going to be lacking in, in competition. Um, on Sunday, 
you start with Baylor, um, who's the number 18 team in the country. Um, new coach, uh, Nikki Collin, in her second season, um, is leading them into the year. They're undefeated. Um, Baylor always has a great program, and, and Waco is usually pretty packed um, to the brim for those games. It's on Sunday, so should be a pretty um, pretty solid uh, attendance. And uh, Sarah Andrews is I think it's Waco. Them. Waco, apologies. Sarah Andrews is leading Definitely. the Bears as she averaged averaging uh, 11 points per game. Baylor is um, not the type of team that South Carolina is, is that it's just a completely athletic mismatch, a lot of size. In fact, Baylor is a pretty good shooting team, um, so that'll be really interesting. I think they match up a little better with um, Maryland, and if Miller, Diamond Miller that is, is able to continue her, um, her scoring streak of staying efficient, um, playing within the offense, I think Maryland has a good chance uh, to pull off a road upset. Yeah, you have the 19th best team in the country against the 17th best team in the country. Yeah, that's what you look for. It's a good match. Hell of a matchup right there. Should be a tight one. And then they play in a tournament um, in Florida, Fort Myers, I believe, over the Thanksgiving week. So um, that should be um, a chance for team bonding because obviously we all know about the new faces stuff. One thing I want to touch on, and, and Brennan, you can talk a little bit about this in Cabot, um, is the new freshman really not getting a lot of minutes. Um, Cheyenne Sellers and Brene Alexander played the lion's share of the bench minutes against Davidson and really against Fordham as well. Um, it doesn't seem that Gia Cook is getting as long of a leash because she's got coming in, and while she's an electric playmaker, as a lot of young freshman point guards are, she just is playing at like a 1,000 miles per minute. Like Everything is going, looks, at least to me, like she's moving like way too fast. It, you know, She gets in the paint, and it's like, her mind is just moving like like I, I, I'm not making the reads. Pinzon isn't as a, uh, natural of an athlete or she's not as electric of a scorer or playmaker, but she knows how to get them in the right set. She knows when to play with pace, when to pull it back, that type of thing. And then Brienne Alex, or Bree, Brene Alexander, Bree McDaniel, Bree McDaniel, the freshman, um, really intense defender and has looked good early on. Watch out for my story on her. I, Whoa! It's a pretty good one, I Terrible think. SportsCentral.com. Um, <laughs> um, but she really hasn't. Um, after getting a lot of minutes in the South Carolina game and getting in a fight, um, a little scuffle, I guess, uh, she really hasn't seen the floor much. So I think it's interesting how Freeze is um, uh, controlling her bench and, and who she's throwing out there. And, and Cavett and, and B, I know that um, you guys looked at that and those type of freshman performances. What do you have to say about that? And what do you think um, could, could happen here over the weekend? You know, going back to Gia Cook, I think she just looks kind of uncomfortable out there. Maybe she's just moving at like a mile a minute, and she's just maybe rushing her decisions on the ball. And yeah, definitely. whenever she gets the ball, it just seems like she's trying to force mm-hmm. what she thinks is the right decision, except like instead of just letting the game open up to her and right. seeing what she can do. Yeah, Faith um, Masonius said in the press game or the post game presser uh, after Davidson that I she said quote. Um, I think that we just need to settle down. Basketball is a simple game. Um, we need to just realize to, that we're trying to almost do too much and that we need to tone it down and just make the simple play. And I think that really applies to the freshmen um, especially. Um, and I think it'll be um, as the season moves on, you might start to see that slow down a bit. But for right now, as Brenda Free says, they just need to trust the process, um, learn from the veterans that have been around five, six years and, 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 know that you have to play within the structure of the offense not just playing you know at a constant fast-paced tempo yeah just quickly on that those are games you'd love to let freshmen get exactly in. that's why having but, it close is a bad thing because then you can't put exactly. the freshmen in those are games you'd love to have them in but those are games you cannot lose that's and so point. you're gonna play the people who you know fourth Free year in college that, fifth year in college i didn't have a chance to listen to the post game yeah. presser, but i mean you can't lose those games and so you're gonna play the, the person who's been on a team for four years and right. is a senior and you know 
who do you trust to make the right pass at the end of the game? Someone who's been there. Right. Freeze basically said that. She said that's why we in some of these games we need to stretch the lead out so they can get extended minutes of run. It's kind of a weird thing to say as a coach, honestly. It's not though, because I mean I think it's fair to say that like if you if you're in a big bigger lead, you want to let your um, young players get out yeah. there and get some experience. And I mean, Freeze is an honest coach. She, I mean, the numbers are the numbers. She's not just going to sit there and be like, "Oh yeah, we want to play the freshman." Well, they played the freshman two minutes in, yeah. in crucial stretches of the game. So when you get in the game and you have a big lead, or you you're playing a team that you should have a big lead against, you want to push that out so that the young guys can get in there or young people can get in there. Yeah, definitely. It's it's hard. Like they are freshmen, so it's going to take some time to adjust. But they're not going to be able to get those real in-game minutes of experience if those senior players don't solidify the win right with enough on. time for them to get some like garbage yeah. time minutes at the end i so mean it's, it's from top to bottom they just gotta they really just gotta win the the should win games right and and as free said though it, it a win's a win no matter what sometimes you have to win ugly um but team who uh, you you wish if you were a terps fan could start to do that a little more as the volleyball team because they continue to just disappoint really in terms of that of the program standards yeah the way the way i kind of look at the rest of the volleyball season is you have uh you have two games that are kind of like the national championship for them because they're not going to make the playoffs obviously so uh friday ohio state fifth ranked team in the country winning that game would be a great way to end the season you, you get a big win um it's unlikely that's going to happen um you know as the volleyball team's been able to steal sets against ranked teams but they're not one been able to get, not been able to get yeah, the win one and five versus ranked teams um and and no team that's of Ohio State caliber that they've been able to beat. Uh, and then senior day, Saturday, um, first Michigan, another game, you know, would be a great win for the seniors. But I mean, really at this point we're talking about very small moral victories and not stuff that um, goes that far. That's right. Leave it all out there. they got nothing to lose at this point. Right. Yeah. Do you think coaches on the hot seat? Because you've talked before. They have talent on that team. They just haven't put it together. I feel like we go through this every week and we say the same thing that, uh, well, Hughes is – compared to the Big Ten, uh, you know, this is a program that would be better if they were in any other thing. But, I mean, and they just did extend him. So, I don't really know what's changed necessarily, Mike. Yeah. I, and Brennan can touch on a little more. But I, I just feel like we have this discussion all the time, and the same answer comes up. Until Maryland really wants to compete nationally, they're not going to make a change. And I just don't know if the resources have been devoted to the volleyball program like that. He's on, like, an like an icy hot seat. Like, I would say that in an ideal situation, you'd get a coach that can win national championships. He obviously hasn't shown that. But because of the way the Maryland athletic program is structured, I would be surprised if they got rid of him, but it's possible. A coach who's kind of reversed the temperature of his seat is Alex Clemson. Just wrestling uh, real quick. Uh, So Maryland has six wrestlers ranked in the top 35, and they have a big match uh, on Friday the 18th against Pittsburgh, the 18th ranked team in the country bunch of 18s going down um this is the biggest uh test so far uh for maryland and i was just kind of looking based on weight class and seeing uh where maryland matches up uh versus pittsburgh and uh you know maryland based on the rankings has the edge in about half of the matchups uh there's one matchup that uh 197 weight class both wrestlers are ranked uh in the um very similar so you know we talked. We have Jaron Smith on next week. You know he could be the deciding factor in that match. And getting a win versus a ranked team would be something that you don't see too often on the mat uh, in College Park. Um, you know we'll see our the rankings. Our rankings. What happens on the mat is uh, is what happens. So Jackson yeah. Smith tenth in the one ninety seven weight class. Yeah. Um, so that'll be an interesting matchup this week. Um, and as we know, uh, Maryland starting to maybe move up in the rankings. Team though, or a program. <laughs> who uh, 
is more towards the valley of the yeah, rankings. Yeah, I just wanted to point out something interesting. Uh, so cross country has, uh, you know, obviously tournaments for the conferences, so Big Ten tournament. But then in or- the way the NCAA tournament works for them is they have regionals. Uh, Maryland's in the Mid-Atlantic. I just thought it was interesting. So Maryland finished 14th in the Mid-Atlantic uh, and finished 13th in the Big Ten, um, which is kind of odd because Gross. The, which is odd because the competition in the Mid-Atlantic is not very strong. So just like the point I'm making there is that you'd think that a team that finished like 13th in the Big Ten would um, would do better in the Mid-Atlantic. Would do better in the Mid-Atlantic. Maybe just shows the disparity between. I mean, 13th how- in the Big Ten is still you know cross country is weird because. It really depends who you're racing and like yeah. time. You know, you have to really compare times. You could win by ten set. Like winning by two minutes is the same amount of points gained loss versus winning by half a second. And right. so there can be some you know stuff like that in cross country. Some discrepancies. Um, another, just yeah, uh, just a little little cross country point. But if we want to talk about um, something that is slightly is more more, <laughs> more entertaining, appeals to, the to a, a wider audience. <laughs> uh, we can get some football picks. Get some football talk. Yeah, Mike, uh, talk, right. give us an update. The leaderboard this week, once again, I'm at the top, 10-5. I ten hate and this five. guy so much, bro. How is he, like, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I don't know how this is going on. I'm riding the hot streak. Another guy riding the hot streak is Cavett. After hey, starting the season 0-2-1, oh, he's ridiculous. now second, 8-6-1. So, <laughs> congratulations to Cavett. And then, some guys boy. who need to improve. Brendan and Sam, you guys are sitting at the bottom 7-8. Well, I'm, I'm going 3 Bro, now. it's still tight. Like, I don't know what you're chirping there. <laughs> it over, is. It's Mike. like a one. We got a long, yeah. we got a long, long season ahead, Mike. The fat lady ain't even come close to singing. She's not singing. Michael. Michael. Pick him. Michael, Michael, Michael. Right. We're switching away from Big Mike House because Georgetown is not on the schedule this weekend. <laughs> I've been riding TCU so far this year. I'm going to continue to ride them. Uh, TCU, favorite by two and a half. Riding the Horned Frogs. Riding the Horned Frogs. Um, they continue to get undermined in that these lines. That would have lines. to hurt. Um, I mean, they have horns, Sam. Yeah. If you had to ride a Horned Frog, that would be brutal. Like a horse, I understand. That's it's very soft. Hurt. Where do you think Horned Frogs ranks in like, the mascots? Oh, great question. College football. Ooh. You think a Horned Frog could beat a like, turtle? Like pretty high. Like it's a hilarious name. No, what no, no, does a, no. a Horned Frog look like? You mean like... No, I'm saying like in a fight, a frog could, a, could a terrapin beat a horn frog? I like well, the how? Rainbow Warriors, personally. No, I'm asking oh, yeah, yeah. A, a serious question here. This is like okay, Mike yeah, yeah, Leach yeah. level stuff. All right, all right, all right. Does a terrapin beat a horn frog? Absolutely not. Well, I, uh, I think a terrapin would eat a horn frog. To be fair, the terrapin no, the has a is, shell to defend itself exactly from the, the horn. The thing is, the terrapin gets one snap on any part of the frog, and the frog's it's not done. getting anywhere. Yeah, it, like like what is it going to use its horns? How for? is a horn frog the horns, winning? Brandon? The horns are like practically useless against the. the I hard can shell. tell you, though, yeah. horn frogs have won by a touchdown or more in nine of their ten games this season. Ooh, so okay. the fact that they're only favored by two and a half points. Against Baylor, kind of surprises what me. What else you got, Mike? Terps, um, got, Terps uh, don't look too good against the Buckeye, though. Um, maybe in the in the mascots they do on the field. Um, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an interesting one, Mike. Tell us about it. I will say, I believe it's gonna be a high scoring game. Um, yeah, Ohio State are has score hit 70. the 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 Buckeyes have hit the over seven hundred really times scored. this season, and then each of the last seven meetings between the two teams have gone over the total. So it will be high scoring. Whether that favor is good for Maryland, probably not, because they'll still probably lose by 40. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. And then my last pick is going to be Tennessee, favored by 21.5 over South Carolina. No Tennessee explanation needed. Tennessee can score. South Carolina, Carolina cannot. They average 16.1 points per game in SAC games. 
other than when they put 38 points up against Vanderbilt, which is not Mike, what happened to no explanation needed? That's a pretty easy pick to explain. I'll, I'll go for no Tennessee's good. <laughs> Tennessee's good. South Carolina blows. I, just, I don't like Spencer Rattler, too. I know you trashed on him <laughs> the other week on the podcast. but like yeah, He's trash. Last year, I was cheering for them to put in Caleb Williams, and I was like, they keep starting Rattler. I mean, eventually it only took a couple games for Williams to get the start, but. Yeah, Mike, we got some overlapping teams here for my picks. Uh, Ohio State minus 27.5 versus Maryland. Uh, I said this to Sam as we were exiting uh, Penn State in the Uber ride <laughs> that I would be picking Maryland, uh, picking against Maryland um, for this week's picks because from what I had just seen on the field it made me think that. <laughs> hey, it's not time to panic, though, Brennan. No, but that's actually a really good point you make. It's actually not time to panic. <laughs> uh, let's get. I want to hear like a couple sentences on what you thought about that statement. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I just – for Loxley to come out and say that after just getting whooped by two teams on the road where you aren't even competitive, it's just like when is the time to panic then? Like if you're consistently losing these games where you're not even close, like how are you going to look at it in terms of competing with the upper echelon of the Big Ten when you're getting just demolished and then you go in the post game and just say, well, we played bad, but I don't want to panic yet. Like we still can win two games. And when you enter the season and the players it, it's a cla- at the media day yeah. are saying the goal is to win the national championship, yeah. and then you put up two performances right. like that, it is kind of time and to And it's panic. kind of now like a classic Maryland thing. Like you read national stuff. It's just like Maryland in November and October just kind of melt down, and that's a continuous theme we see with these teams. That's why I like getting the outside uh, opinion last week. The one thing I will say is maybe it's not time to panic, but it sure as hell is time to practice in the rain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the next pick I have uh, – Baylor plus two and a half versus TCU, and the reason I take this pick is because the line makes absolutely no, <laughs> no sense. sense. It makes no yeah, sense, and it's so it's ridiculous. And when it makes no sense, they know something I don't. I'm That's taking a, it. I don't hate a it. bear can handle a horse. I mean, I'll say that. I mean, Mike, you look at that line; it literally makes no sense. It and doesn't, that, and that's why you have to take it. Was it. Like, it was like Same last thing, LSU, week. With LSU, LSU made no, no, no sense. No sense. They, like, they, they want you to pick it, and uh, yeah. I did pick it the opposite. Final, obviously, Texas A&M minus thirty-three and a half versus UMass. It's his, it's Brendan's. I don't have. There's no explanation. Yeah, you don't need it. Men, I will say his, his pick against UMass last week did not work. I mean, we played okay. Arkansas. I mean, they played Arkansas State. You got to ride it. Um, but my picks this week. Um, so, I'm not, sorry for affiliating with a fan of UMass. I'm, I'm done. Just Masters, yeah, well, we're not affiliated. They've got to win. We're not affiliated <laughs> with a minute, man. Um, I'm not giving any hype speech this week. My teams just need to go out there and perform the way that they're supposed to. And so I'm just sticking away from giving them any motivational messages. They just need to execute my game plan. (laughs) So for that reason, I have... Good luck with that. (laughs) Is it time to panic? I don't know. (laughs) I have Michigan... You got to maximize it. I have Michigan minus 17 and a half against Illinois. Illinois is going to be probably without Chase Brown, who's basically their entire offense. Tommy DeVito transferred from Syracuse, the quarterback for the Illini. Uh, Really hasn't been great against... Um, elite competition in the past other than Minnesota. Um, they've only played two defenses that even rank close to um, Michigan's. And then last week, um, that defense that Illinois um, considered to be pretty good um, pretty much got dominated by Purdue, and, and Michigan presents a much tougher uh, test than that. So I like Michigan in that one. Uh, Oklahoma State plus 7.5 against Oklahoma. Uh, I've gone with um, – Oklahoma State a couple times this year. I like Spencer Sanders. Oklahoma is not really a good team, in my opinion. It's a rivalry game. Um, I think that they keep this one way tighter than what the line suggests. And then lastly, I have the UCLA-USC over. Both these offenses are, are pretty pretty dynamic. Um, Caleb Williams, as Mike was saying, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, neither defense can stop, could stop a traffic cone. So I like to see how um, 
these offenses are both going to probably explode in, in, in Pasadena. Oh, God, here we go. I missed this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, first pick, Battle of Los Angeles, USC, minus two and a half over UCLA. Give me the Trojans. And then, staying out west, Utah, minus two versus Oregon. Why not? The Utes, are, they've had it all year. This is going to be a hell of a matchup. Um, and then last pick, NC State, an underdog against Louisville. What? That line makes absolutely zero sense. NC State plus four against Louisville. Give me that all day. The Wolfpack going to take them down. Let's go. Ooh. Those are the picks. Wow. Kevin may be still recovering from a cold, but he can surely put on a show. I hear that uh, Brendan has some terrific terrapins to follow up from Dick Shiner last week. <laughs> yeah, so moving on, this week's terrific terrapins, plural. Thank you, Linda, who is our uh, grammar teacher. Best teacher in the world. Mm-hmm. Definitely something in the world. Um, a little hesitation in that. <laughs> definitely a teacher. De- she's definitely in a world. She definitely is a professor. She's in one of the, okay, uh, this terrific terrapins award, we may, we may need a lot of trophies for this week. Goes to all the kids that Sam Jane had to hear scream oh. yesterday. <laughs> they are they deserve it. And uh, yeah, um, I, I I just love all the little kids out there that really put their passion into the game. Yeah. You but know, you got to grow mean? the game. I, I respect it. Yeah, it was really cool. Diamond Miller had a cool quote afterwards. Um, but uh, it, it didn't help I my ear. The one video set of just like all the kids standing up, arms in the air. Belting out screams was hilarious. Oh yeah, and they were just going to. Maybe that's noise. why Maryland didn't do too well at the beginning. I don't know. Oh yeah, Diamond Miller said she couldn't hear herself floating <laughs> on the floor. So I mean, that that does explain it. Um, but folks, horrible. Kevin Ireland, take us away. Um, and another cool episode, and and we appreciate all the little Terp fans out there. And C- check out uh, next week's special Thanksgiving yeah, episode. Yeah, Jaron Smith coming on. Turkey, mm. ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> thank you for tuning in to Under the Shell, presented by Terrapin Sports Central. As always, enjoy your Thanksgiving and Happy New Year. Woo!